I think I put a marketer to sleep than talking about customer research. <laughs> but it is one of the most impactful and career-changing activities that I've seen in my own career. And Claire Salantrop, she is the author of this must-read book, Forget the Funnel. She agrees. It's one of the things that makes this customer research so valuable. It, it enables teams, whether product or marketing, to get a sense of where the market really is and how their market really thinks. And then look at their product through that lens rather than looking at it through their own internal lens where everyone knows that it's awesome. <laughs> In this Marketing Pops episode, first you learn how customer research has increased audiobook sign-up rate by 64%. Second, Claire's top questions to ask your customers to gain actionable insights. Third, when do you do surveys over user interviews? And number four, why being a good person has accelerated Claire's career. And before we get started, I created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and apply Claire's customer research process right now. You can find that link in the show notes and description. It's at marketingpowerups.com. Are you ready? Let's get started. That's not right. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Let's talk about marketing power-ups. I'm super excited. You just, y'all just released this book. It's right here. For anybody tuning in, uh, I'm super excited. This is like a must-have book for any marketers. I'm super excited to finally have this. I feel like I, I wish I had this when I started marketing because it would have like saved me a ton of like stress and and like uh, heartaches <laughs> how do you feel how how's the you know this is now out you must be celebrating like how, how do you feel about the whole it's out yes honestly and i'm sure you can relate to this it feels kind of surreal that it's no longer like in gia's and heads collectively um and it's really cool to like get on calls with people who've read it and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Cool. Like um, mm. the fact that it's kind of like the fact that the framework is kind of filtering out into the world is amazing. Um, and also it is very humbling to hear you say, you know, this is the book you wish you had a long time ago. We've gotten that feedback from a couple of, no, a number of marketers who are like, you know, I, I knew that like, you know, learning from customers is important. I knew that not yeah. just picking tactics random is important, but this like kind of threads all of those loose ends together and I can just like yeah. follow a system now instead of trying to make it up. <laughs> yeah, true. Because it's it's such a, it's such a like a, what is this called? Like a, a cookie, a cookie, a fortune cookie tweet, you know, like talk to your customers, you will, Say what yeah, the, but like nobody important. really goes deep into like what does that mean? How do you do it? Uh, like how do you categorize it? How do you actually pull out the insights? And I feel like that's uh, that's where this book fills in that details that people love to tweet or create memes or post on LinkedIn. Like your marketing is not good if you don't talk to customers. But like, what do you even mean by that? Because if you like, talk to customers wrong, it might be worse. right. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, there's a company that I have been chatting with recently. And they, um, they've said like, yeah, we, we've learned from our customers. Like we've run customer interviews, but it's still not like doing, it's not working. Um, mm. And so I asked if I could listen to some of the interview recordings and I'm right. listening to them and the team is super well-intentioned, but the way that the interviews are run are very much um, 
like feature focus. Like, hey, did you know that we have this? Mm. Were you able to find this feature? Or like, um, right. they're yeah. they're not they're not focusing on the right parts of the customer journey. And so, of course, they're struggling to make like to make good decisions from those. Um, so yeah, mm. how to do it is not often covered, and I'm I'm glad to hear that like you found the nitty gritty helpful. <laughs> I I love that. I. I usually ask like a case study at the end, like of the of a framework, but I feel like people have heard of you know, customer research just takes so much time; it's not worth it. But there's a story that you that you shared in chapter three around audiobooks, where you're able to increase sign up rates by sixty four percent, and like you know, people using this new fe- this credit card payment feature that they have increased by three hundred percent. What was that insight that helped that? Because I want to start here because. I want to grab people right away and say, hey, this is what you can get if you actually do and follow what's like, you know, the proper way to do, you know, to do customer research, a customer-led approach, like what you suggested in the book, what is that result? And what was that insight that you got that unlocked that growth? Okay. So lots to talk about here. Um, I got lucky. I got very lucky at the start of this project. Um, because uh, Chris Beck, who is one of the co-creators of the Jobs to be Done framework uh, was the mm. uh, chief, uh, I don't remember his title, but it was like head of customer acquisition. Um, he so, so he had come in um, and started this new role at Autobooks and knowing the value of Jobs research, he had already done all these interviews with the team mm. and like handed them to me on a silver platter. <laughs> uh, so that was a unique scenario. Not a lot of marketing or product leaders come into a situation with all of that like really well-run research ready to go um we can talk more about like what to do in that scenario but to answer your more immediate question um the insight that we pulled from those interviews was even though autobooks is a very um so so autobooks is like a it's like full-fledged or full-featured finance management tool for small businesses, especially like hyper local or brick and mortar businesses. Um, like mm. if you do catering from your home, like AutoBooks is great for you. Or if you have a pet washing service or uh, a pet a pet sitting service, like any of those like um, localized businesses are a really good fit for AutoBooks. Um, and so when I started working with the team, like the messaging that they were putting out into the world was we're finance management, like automate all your finances. And that wasn't really resonating. Like it wasn't hitting with SMEs. Um, and so what the research uncovered was the the thing that brought people through the door um, that really made them get it was when they sent their first invoice electronically and and got a payment electronically. Like they didn't have to go through PayPal they didn't have to like buy and carry around a square reader. Um, and when that magic moment happened, new users were like, whoa. Um, and then they became like lifelong users. So that was the insight that then allowed us to look at their marketing assets and realize, okay, we need to really narrow down what we're talking about in all of our marketing. Um, so the marketing message shifted from you know finance management to get paid online, um, I want to say it was like within two business days or straight to your bank account, something. That makes sense. Like, you know, that was the feature that unlocked 
you know, people understood right away. They get it, and I'm like, yes, let's let's jump on this. And that was uncovered through through some of the the research that was already done by um, by I believe his name is Chris. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Shout out Chris, thank you uh, for uh, working with the project. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's great that like he's done this research. But you mentioned earlier around like often you would come in to like a company and like yeah we talk to our customers all the time. We know what we're doing, and then you listen to some of their their recordings. So like, you like this feature? Oh really? Like this is what- <laughs> so it's not really research. <laughs> In, in this chapter, you like really talked about like the importance of like actually doing new research. Um, what what is what, what are some signals to you that you're like, yeah, y'all are not doing. <laughs> you're, you're saying you are, but you're like actually not following. Like you're not actually getting the valuable like the gems from mm-hmm. what, that you can get from customers. Um, first, I should I should caveat this with like, uh. I would say like with some love to anyone who is running customer research and like trying to figure it out as yeah. they go. Cause it's fucking hard. Like, um, yeah. It's like no shame to you. If you're like, if, if this sounds familiar, um, no judgment whatsoever, but there have been multiple occasions where, um, you know, Gia and I start working with a company and they share their interview recordings with us or their survey data. Um, and some signs that it's not going to give us the gems um, are things like it's primarily focused on demographics. Like these are the mm. typical job titles or, um, <laughs> you know, most of our customers are in these regions. Like that, um, that oftentimes feels like important information to teams. But um, a new member of our team, Heidi, uh, who is excellent. She's, I think she might be, she's probably even better at jobs interviews. Um, she, she describes that as like being able to, being able to understand the demographics of your customer base is great for understanding correlation, but it doesn't mm. give you the, the causation of why they realized they needed to switch away from whatever they used to be using and, and find and hire your product. Um, so mm. that's often a red flag. Um, another common red flag is what you just touched on, which is in interviews, if the team is even by accident asking leading questions, um, then you're going to end up with research that is biased. Um, so yes, the, the team I'm, I'm, um, you know, potentially talking, talking about potentially working with right now. They, they've done customer interviews. They've spent time on this very important activity. But in these conversations, they're asking customers like, hey, what do you think about this feature? Or like, hey, we're considering building X. Like, what's your, what's, what are your thoughts? Um, which again, doesn't go back to what you really need to understand to form a strong growth strategy, which is the causality of, you know, mm. your customer going about their day before they've ever heard of you realizing they need something new and and choosing you um yeah i don't know if that was uh helpful or like way too rambly <laughs> no no this this is great like there's no way to rent in the show like the more details is the better you're talking to other marketers i feel like those are really good ones uh you're talking about you know i'm a big proponent of the 
I think I tweeted this once, like whenever a marketer says like, hey, let's talk about jobs to be done, I get super excited. <laughs> this is like the one framework that's helped me uh, level up my, my marketing skills. Uh, MGs. For people who are not aware of it, you mentioned already. Yeah, right. Uh, you're, you're, it's, you're, people hire products to do something that they're trying to accomplish, a goal or with a pain or something like that. And you're talking about like uncovering those like initial moments. Um, mm-hmm. what, what I'm trying to get at is like, well, how, what, how do you, obviously through interviews, but like, you know, in this chapter, you talked a little bit about surveys and stuff like that. Uh, how, how can people find out that gems that like, that would unlock the growth, like what we heard with Autobooks and, uh, and the other client, like the dozens of clients that you, you and Gia have worked with? I love this question. So if you're listening to this and you're like, we don't have time for interviews or another very common team, uh, like line of pushback that folks hear and, and reach out to us for help with is, you know, my team's already done research. And so they're, they're very hesitant to spend more time reaching back out to customers, annoying our customers. Um, if we've already gone through this exercise and, um, Starting with a survey is a much lower level uh, mm. activity to propose. Um, and well, let's let's kind of like set the scene here. Let's pretend that uh, you know I'm I'm or you. Let's pretend you're you're coming into a company as a you know brand new head of marketing, and you've looked through what the the existing team has already done in terms of research. It's very product focused, UX focused. Mm. It doesn't give you that. Um, causality gem of why customers choose this product, why they switch away from something else. Um, and if you're getting pushback, on, well, we've already done a bunch of interviews, then saying, okay, cool, no worries. Let's start with a survey and see if that can give us the information we need. Um, you're just so much more likely to get an okay. Um, so how we think about surveys is like, they are a super condensed little mini jobs to be done interview. Um, and we, in the, the workbook that goes along with our book, we have a template that lists the exact questions we use when we run these, these customer surveys. Um, some of my favorite questions in there are, you know, prior to product, um, what were you doing before? Uh, if you were using mm-hmm. any other tools or solutions, what were those? Uh, maybe you were using nothing. Um, and then we leave that field open-ended to see how people describe their past life. Um, actually, the entire survey is open-ended. I should I should have clarified that. Um, and then the next question is, okay, so you know, you're using X or you're, you're, you're not doing anything. Um, what happened that made you realize you needed something different? Um, those are my favorite two questions because they, uh, uncover, and since they're open-ended, they're in a customer's own words, they uncover that previous life and that, um, you know, trigger moment or that causality, um, of, of what event pushed someone to start looking for someone new. And we've got, I think the, the survey overall is around like seven or eight questions. Um, but those I think are the most powerful for uncovering that that those like gems you were talking about um when you run them in an open-ended way you also this sense check of how customers talk about their lives and their problems and you can then look at your marketing and say 
okay, are we matching these words and phrases or, you know, are we using internal language that doesn't mirror how customers speak and think? Mm. That's so good. I just want to make sure people who might have skipped over that. Well, those two questions, can you repeat those two questions? The the first one and the, the second one, like that we really need to focus on. Absolutely. First question being, before product, name of your product, what were you, um, okay, hold on. I got to think through the exact wording. Um, the way that we phrase it is, before product, what were you using to like do what product Solve does? Yeah. So, so for autobooks, let's use autobooks to be more specific. I would I would write that question as for before autobooks, what were you using to send invoices and take payments? Mm-hmm. Um, and then customers might say nothing or PayPal or cash and Microsoft Word. Uh, you know, it could be all across the board. And then yeah. that second question is what happened that made you realize your old way wasn't working mm. or what made what yeah. happened that made you realize you needed something new before i continue i want to take the sponsor for this episode 42 agency now when you're in scale-up growth mode and you have to hit your kpis the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups and it's a lot to handle there's demand gen email sequences RevOps, and more and that's where 42 agency founded by my good friend camille rexton can help you they're a strategic partner that's helped b2b SaaS companies like ProfitWall, teamwork Sprout Social, and Hubdoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundations for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine. Thank you also to the sponsor for this episode, HRS Free Webmaster Tools. Now, if you want to rank your website higher in search engines, you have to make sure that your website doesn't have any technical SEO issues. Because if you do, that's like trying to run a race with your shoes tied together. That's how you lose, and we don't want that. Luckily, HRS Free Webmaster Tools can crawl up to 5,000 pages to find 140 common technical SEO issues that could be holding your site back from generating valuable traffic can also help you find your strongest backlinks as well as analyze keywords you're ranking for and see keyword search volume and ranking difficulty for each of those keywords. You can sign up for free at hstraps.com forward slash webmaster tools or find the link in the description and show notes. Well, let's get back to the episode. There were some responses to audiobooks like what made you realize that the old way is not good enough and for audiobooks it could be like I lost I lost the cash. <laughs> you like, you know, like something, something like that, where like you're really digging into what made them start looking for a solution in that situation. I lost the cash is a very real one, or yeah. the check got <laughs> lost in the mail. Um, mm, wow. There were a couple of people who were like, PayPal locked down the transfer, and I couldn't get yeah. my money. Uh, yeah. Very painful experiences, especially yeah. if you're a, a small business with you know, very uh, low profit margins, like every payment. Counts. Uh, mm. So yeah, a survey can be a really low stakes way to get that information, um, you know, and not have to spend hours and hours on customer calls, scheduling, blah, blah, blah. And I, I believe like there's also, you know, obviously this, you, you have to have enough customers to serve to survey in the book. I believe it's yeah. 300 or 500. Like if you have enough 
people you can send a survey to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a good way to to, to start essentially uh, with a survey. That's what I'm hearing. That's right. Yeah, numbers wise, the like larger your customer base, and yes, in the book we recommend several hundred paying customers. The larger your customer base, the more valuable surveys are. Um, also, the more self serve your product is. So, if you're selling yeah. into enterprise surveys probably won't be as useful because there were likely multiple buyers. It may have been a much slower sales process. Um, So surveys work especially well for those high volume, low touch types of offerings and products. So then we send a survey out, it's um, seven to eight questions. You get like, I don't know, a hundred responses. What is how would you categorize and like pull out the insights from that? Like how how would you like, I guess, pull out the gem? Like you've got into this huge data of words. Uh, do you put it through a word cloud or, or something else to, to help you find those, those valuable insights? This is such a good question. And getting this down on paper was one of the hardest parts of writing the book. Our, our process has evolved over time. And our team member, Heidi, is actually right now even like leveling up, powering up um, how we do it uh, as a team at Forget the Funnel. So she uses a tool called Enjoy HQ. I have not used it. Um, yeah, but but for those who are you know interested in speeding up parsing, I would I would recommend checking it out. Um, the way that we have done it historically is. I mean, in our old school days, you know, uh, first couple of years of working together, we would use a spreadsheet or mm. a Google Sheet. We have since switched over to Airtable because Airtable's filtering capabilities are stronger. Um, but where we start is that second question. We filter everything by the second question. What was going on that caused you to realize you needed something new? Um and let's say, let's keep using autobooks as the example. A couple of, you know, one of the themes that comes out is, you know, the cash or check got lost or I was struggling to keep track. Another theme might be, yeah, PayPal or Square locked my funds. Hmm. Another theme might be, I acquired a lifestyle business and their systems were just like shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That was that was another real world scenario. Um, one customer had bought a healthy but kind of low level storage business, and uh, she was like, "Y'all are keeping track like in a physical notebook. Like we can we can move to the <laughs> <What>? cloud, people." <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. So we start by finding the common themes in people's answers to that second question. And then that becomes the uh, like that becomes the lens through which we categorize everything else. Um, so so we like to group all of the customers we've learned right. from into the yeah. buckets of what their struggle was. Um, what are your thoughts there? Before I like keep going. No, I, I love it. I start with the pain, and then I guess you're gonna get into uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we start with the pain because then the pain influences everything mm. else about their their decision making yeah. um they might be looking for you know different 
feature attributes to solve that particular pain. Um, so the, the pain is really how we start to create um, segments or, or groups of customers we learned from. Well, we didn't, in Autobooks' case, we didn't necessarily like pick one job to be done above all others. But what it did enable us to do was start crafting different um, like onboarding strategies based yeah. on which pain one was experiencing. Um, so, for example, one of the key themes in their struggles was, I just started a new business and I have a lot to figure out and I just need to like get paid quickly. Um, yeah, true. Uh, very different from someone who has been taking payments through PayPal or, or Square and had a bad experience, that person's going to be much more gun shy about like, trusting a new product. And so they have different messaging needs. They have different fears and, and like, um, yeah, they have different willingness to experiment with a new product. Um, so they got very different onboarding sequences when they signed up. Um, that's just one example, but we, yeah, we filter everything by the pain. Um, and from there, normally, Autobooks, again, was an exception in this case, but normally as a team, then we level set on which pain or, you know, which, which, jo which job someone needs to hire the product for is most advantageous to better serve right now. Uh, not all jobs are created equal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thoughts there. Again, I know I'm talking fast. <laughs> no, no, this is good. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that, like, when you say advantageous, it might not be the biggest pain per se, but like it's a pain that you can serve the best compared to mm -hmm. the alternatives, right? It's one of right hearing there. There's a um, what's another good example? You know what? I'll I'll pull another one from the book just for easy reference. Um, we worked with a social media management form, and they found two pains or two jobs to be done in the the customer survey that they ran. One was businesses that hadn't really like figured out their marketing and they were trying out social media to see if that was a good channel to acquire new customers. And then, and, and those people, their struggle was like, help me drive more traffic, help me see if social is going to work for me. Mm. And then another struggle was really felt by company, like small businesses that had already verified social was a good way to acquire their best customer. Um, so now they were like, this is working. I need to automate stuff and, and move on mm. to other business problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the team was like, okay, let's think about these two types of people. Someone who knows it works, knows social media works, is going to be more likely to invest in tools to keep social media running. They probably already have a decent content strategy. Um, you know, they're not sitting there wondering like, mm, what should I post? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they their business is proven to be a bit more viable um, if they already have marketing locked down. And so they were like, clearly this is the, this is the higher value customer. Like we can better serve these people and they get more value from our product. Um, so then they were able to look around at their marketing and they realized uh, we've trying we've been trying to kind of like speak to everyone. True. Um, and right. a lot of our content plays, a lot of our webinars uh, have been focused on that more like newbie customer. Interesting. So they yeah. were like, oh shit, we need to 
yeah, we need to we need to change who we're talking to. <laughs> That's interesting. I love that example. Really, really like you're finding like who feels the pain the most to put it in some way, right? Uh, and then how can we, right? Who can we serve the best with that pain? In yeah. the in the workbook, which I'm, but I know you have have already like been through all this, but in the workbook, there's a rubric to help teams like kind of figure out which struggle or job to be done is most advantageous to focus on. And yeah, it's like whose pain feels the most urgent, um, who has the the most willingness to pay, who's least likely to be like a big burden on support, um, who's a better fit for our business model. Like sometimes, um, you know, a company has to make a choice between a really tricky problem that serves a higher revenue customer, but right. that, that customer is also harder to acquire. They require more handholding. And a self-serve customer that is lower revenue, but way easier to acquire a lot. Um, so sometimes it's like, which can the product best support right now? It's, I, I feel like there's also um, sometimes momentum plays at it. Like who can we close the fastest mm -hmm. might be an interesting factor for, yep. for certain companies, especially totally. with, with what's happening with the economy. Like let's like accelerate our, yeah. our uh, sales cycle essentially, or you know, who is the most valuable? Could be interesting. So I like how you're helping yeah. them think about like who should we focus on now? Because like that trade-off is super important. Because like you mentioned, like mm -hmm. trying to target everyone, it's like a recipe for failure, essentially. And like yeah. not resonating with yeah. anybody else. But at least here, like people are thinking about it now. I love that you brought up like the economy and like who who can we build the most momentum with? Um that's a I really like that description of it. Um last week I was on like an offers, oh, excuse me, last week I was on an office hours call with uh, founders within like the tiny seed network. Mm. And yeah. one founder was facing that exact challenge. He was like, well, we have one customer set that feels one pain. They drive way more revenue, but they're a lot harder to acquire and mm. onboard. And then there's another customer type that has a different struggle, but they they get it. They self-serve. They like, it's a lot easier for me to reach them. Um, and so where he where he landed in the office hours session was focus on creating an experience that mm. acquires a lot more of those self-serve folks. And then once you feel really good about their yeah. customer experience, then you can switch gears and be like, all right, now let's focus on this higher LTV customer. But I love that you brought up like it's about the it's about what we can do now, it's not as if we, we're going to say no or or not or ignore all these other types of customers forever. But yeah, trying to focus on everyone at once is a fool's errand. <laughs> it's so true. I feel like, uh, uh, yeah, that's definitely a challenge, especially I feel that might be more so true with founders where like they think their yeah. product is the best and like the... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I've worked with some founders where that's the case. Is that what you're finding? We're like talking to marketers like, yeah, we get it. Like focus versus like founders like, no, we got to do everything. We got to do it all. Yes, and uh, just like improv. <laughs> yes, and a big challenge that we see a lot is the product team. They're experts on the product. They know hmm. everything it can do. They know how like all around powerful it is. Um, and there's a, there's an, 
pretty old by now, but there's a really good intercom blog post about this. The product team's job is innovation and, and pushing things forward. And the marketing team's job is meeting the target audience where they're at and trying to bridge the gap between where people's awareness is now and where the product is going. And it's really hard. Like there's, yeah. there's a very natural tension between looking at the current market and, and where the product's going. Um, and that I think is a, a, it's one of the things that makes this customer research, research so valuable. It, it enables teams, whether product or marketing, to get a sense of where the market really is and how their market really thinks. And then look at their product through that lens rather than looking at it through, you know, their own internal lens where everyone knows that it's fucking awesome. <laughs> so true, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. That's a really good uh, point. Like you you want to be thinking ahead and, and seeing what other uh, problems you can potentially solve there. I've, you know, we've ta been talking a lot about surveys and I feel like that's a good start. Yeah. When, when does it make sense to do user user interviews or our customer research through to interviews maybe when the team is smaller uh, when the customer base is smaller or your early stage or you mentioned earlier on enterprise but is there like mm -hmm. a point for you that you've worked with a company or or a team and like yeah the survey is great let's let's do some interviews or like do you find like 99 percent of the time or 90 percent of the time the surveys get you good enough yeah uh, insights that you can move forward you named a couple of great scenarios where interviews are good. Team is smaller. Um, customer base is smaller. So you've just got fewer people to learn from. Um, other great times to run interviews are if your product has evolved and mm. does quite a bit more than it used to be able to do. Um, so a good example, there's a company we're working with right now and they entered the market a couple of years ago with like, like a like a point solution, and they are now expanding and they offer so much more. They're they're like they've gone from point solution to like all in one platform, right. and the exactly as we were just discussing, like the team knows how amazing the product is, but they're in their bubble and they they need that like customer input to like bring them bring them back to earth and figure out okay how do our customers really talk about all of this functionality um you know because we're using terms like seamless and no one in the interview said the word seamless uh like <laughs> just as an example um that's a good example so, all in yeah. one seamless yeah innovative yeah. you know things like that innovative yeah. oh my god um another one that that always bums me out is powerful like, what the fuck does powerful mean? Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> so true. What is that mean? Good point. Um, yeah. So when your product has significantly evolved, that's another good opportunity. Um, a major shift in the market. So like um, COVID, uh, COVID hitting was a really good time for people to like rethink how they understood their customer base. Um, or with this more recent uh like kind of tech bubble or tech economy d downturn, um, a lot of folks are seeing the people they thought were their best customers churning. So it's another opportunity to be like, okay, who's sticking around and what's so valuable to them that they're sticking around? 
important. Like clearly we got to target more of those people. Um, so a big market change, a big product change. Um, those are both really good times. Um, as well as the ones that you mentioned, smaller customer base, smaller team. One other one is if you're selling into enterprise, that's also probably a scenario where you will need interviews. Um, surveys are just, they, they don't go deep enough. They're way better uh, fits in like a lower touch um, product and, and like customer experience. I didn't really t- touch upon this, but like, seems like depending on your goal, uh, you would be talking to different types of users. So it could be current customers or it could be new users or might even be ones that are on a specific type of product rather than another type. Uh, is that is mm-hmm. that what dictates uh, who you talk to? It's like, what are your goal, uh, goals? What are you trying to achieve here? And based on that, like, okay, this you should talk to. This is who the this is who we should send the survey to. There's a couple of criteria that we always lean on. And then, yes, to your point, there's sometimes a little a little bit of extra criteria depending on your goals. So the criteria we always lean on are you want to filter down and learn from the customers who are paying. Um, so freemium users or mm. folks in your trial are not a fit right now. We need people who are already voting with their dollars. Um, so that's number right. one. Um, recently began paying is also really helpful because kind of as we just discussed, anyone who converted to paid when the product was very different or the market was very different um, won't provide the insight you need into what what's, what's true right now. Um, so paying, recently began paying and are meaningfully engaged. And, and that metric of meaningfully engaged, as you well know, because as an onboarding expert, it's different for every product. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that they're logging in um, on a recurring basis, um, but they're getting value in whatever way your product delivers value on a regular cadence. Um, what's a good example of that? Um, well, like with autobooks, actually, um, logging into autobooks does not inherently provide value, but sending a minimum number of invoices or even better, receiving a certain number of payments um, per month is a way better indicator that someone is like bought in on the product. Um, And I'm sure, you know, in your experience, like you can come up with a a bunch of really nuanced and and much better engagement metrics than like daily actives, (laughs) monthly actives. Um, So that's three, Uh, you know, paying, recently paying, um, very and, and engaged. Th- those are like the criteria of, of good fit customers. Um, to your point, then on top of that, you might add people on this pricing tier or um, people within this geographic range where we want to expand our reach. Like, but those those additional details really depend on the company's goals. So there's like more focus on your best customers versus like churn users is, is what I'm hearing. Like you know, churn mm-hmm. customers, right? It's not that churn research isn't valuable, but in this particular exercise, the goal is to figure out what worked for the best Mm. and then reverse engineer their experience to acquire more of those people. What you just said actually reminded me of another great reason or like great 
trigger moment to do customer research. Um, and Jason Knight, who is a um, product management consultant um, and a very funny podcast host, <laughs> we were just on his podcast. Oh yeah, I saw I saw that tweet. Uh, he's, he's a good dude. Yeah, um, I really liked how he described it in a recent newsletter. He described it as if you're if you're experiencing what he called revenue debt, where you and your team have kind of organically or haphazardly like acquired all the different types of customers who you can convince to get into your product. But now you're like, okay, who do we really serve best? Um, calling back to something you referenced earlier in the episode, like right now we're trying to appeal to everyone because we just, we'll take anybody's money we can get. Um, and we don't, like, <laughs> we don't have a clear sense of who to really target. That's another great, um, it's another great uh, reason to do customer research. Um, hmm. We just kicked off a project yesterday with a team experiencing that. They serve a ton of different use cases. And so we've deliberately chosen with them not to to filter by use case or industry or region because they're genuinely like, we don't know who we serve best. So um, they're, they're using the minimal like paying, recently paying, engaged criteria so that we can figure out like, do you have a segment or a use case or an industry who are like who are really valuable to target? There's an analogy. My mom used to work at a at a bank way in the Philippines, and now she's she's doing payroll. But like the way that they would check and uh, check counterfeit money is that they would study the real money and check out the security, like what what is like the stuff, like what is real looks like. So that they can find the bad, but <laughs> the fit. And I feel like that's an analogy for this. Where like, if you focus on the best fit, then you can say no to the bad stuff and like point it out right away. And I feel like that's exactly that is- the reason why it works here. It's like focus on the best one. So you, rather than like you know churn new this that, just focus on the best, and you, you then you can find out right away if somebody coming in is good or not at all. That is such an awesome analogy. (laughs) Um, Kudos to your mom. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, I want to shift gears and talk a bit about career power-ups, but I'm going to tell people for sure, get get the book, uh, Forget the Funnel. It's available on Amazon. uh, I'm sure if you Google Forget the Funnel book, it's going to be on the list. So please get it. I'm going to link it in the show notes and description. They also have a workbook with it. But let's talk about careers. I know you've been in, uh, you know, you've spent several um, decade, decades now, over a decade in marketing. You actually looked up your, your profile and you did done some stints in as a music director at a radio station and yeah. the, uh, marketing director at Cali. I'm curious, like throughout this career that uh, you have now that you're, you're you've written this book, what's what's helped you accelerate your career or power up your career to, to move forward? And it could be around marketing or you could be, something more like like networking or soft skills that you thought mm-hmm. you feel like help you step forward and level up um yeah as you called out i've had a lot of weird and seemingly disconnected uh career steps prior to getting into SaaS and marketing um which is a different podcast episode altogether but um <laughs> um what Looking back has been um, really valuable and was definitely a, a power up 
I will get more specific, but to be broad, be a good person. Like, um, and I say that instead of like networking, because networking can mean all kinds of things. It can mean like trading business cards and it can mean uh, going to events. I say be a good person instead of networking because networking mm. can mean going to yeah. events you don't want to go to or trading business cards or doing like more surface level uh, relationship building activities. Whereas being a good person is is being just generous and and figuring out how you can help your peers i mean you're fucking great at this like you have built such long <laughs> relationships and a career out of being a good person and and like helping other people get where they're trying to go um and it's like it's worked wonders for you and i looking back i i feel like that was such a difference maker um you know, you know, when the book launched this month, we had so many friends and partners and peers mm -hmm. who were willing to, you know, give us a shout out in their newsletter or tweet yeah. about us or like you do this amazing video review. And that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of, like you said, like almost a decade of building relationships and being generous in this space. Um, and there's no way that we could have pulled off a launch like that, like in isolation by ourselves um so yeah don't just be a nice person don't be a superficial person like be a kind good person um mm. and that will pay off in ways you like can't even quantify <laughs> i love how you called out that it's the opposite of networking i feel like that's you know whenever you get into networking events it's usually like people trying to get something from you i don't know that's what i feel like yeah. and like you call out like hey that's you know maybe people have different definition of networking but like you're talking really about like being being generous and helpful and you know it might not be at the top of your mind but you know it, it um it's a small community and when you help each other out like it'll come back around in some way but you're not Done. Sure, yeah. sure how or where and when but there's that generosity does come back when you put it out there. It's exactly what I'm hearing from this power up that you have. Yeah. When I was um, like a tiny baby freelancer, um, I, uh, I, I did this exercise where I identified other people who had their own businesses, who I admired and I wanted to learn from. I made a little list in a spreadsheet and I found their emails and I reached out to each one and I was like, hey, I, you know, here's my backstory. I'm going mm. into freelancing. I really look up to you. Could we spend like 20 minutes on a call? I just have some very specific questions about how you got to where you are. Um, no pressure, obviously. And a handful of people were generous enough to grant me that. Um, shout out to Joel Kletke, who runs Case Study Buddy. Joel. Um, he's so good. I just chatted with he's him. He's such a good so guy. Good. He, he yeah. like he gave me 20 minutes of time when I had no idea what I was doing. And he even mm. took a chance on me and hired me for a small copywriting mm. project. And like right. that meant so much because I had so little on my like freelance resume. Um, yeah. And I have like to this day, I will sing Joel's praises. I will refer people to Case Study Buddy. Like mm. he 
he his show of generosity just makes me like a forever fan. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and like just m- making that lasting uh, in- impact uh, through fan essentially has. You don't have to call out names, but has there been other people that you you can maybe shout out that's like kind of helped you in your journey? Um, obviously, obviously, GS one. Joe's another one which I didn't realize because like he's uh, such a good. Dude. Oh my god, so many! At that time, I also took what felt like a very scary, expensive plunge, and I enrolled in Joanna Weeb's mm. uh, like freelance masterclass. Yeah. Um, not because I really needed copywriting skills, but I was like, I want to be like her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so huge shout out to Joanna, huge shout out to April Dunford for giving advice um, and helping shape the way that we brought the book into the world. Gia, obviously. Bob Mesta, um, who I met at a conference, I met at Business of Software and like that has changed the trajectory. Like so many people have been generous with their time or their advice or their introductions. Um, and all that's made me want to do is turn right around and like do the same thing. Um, yeah. Like extend the ladder back down to the next person who's like in their tiny baby freelance career. <laughs> that's so good. This just putting such a big smile on, on my face. I, I I feel the same way where like uh, the reason why where I'm at is like people taking risks and just saying yes. At the same time, like I've turned around and like helped out other folks and now they're helping out other folks. It's like a circle of help. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not cooler. I want to know who some of your people are. Like who's who's oh. really helped you like <laughs> Yeah, I I would say like Wes Bush was one of them. Like he's helped like even before we connected. Um, he reached out and supported me writing this book. Um, you and G, like you've been seeing mock races, but I've been I actually look up to both of you and be like, hey, one day when I grow up, <laughs> right? G and Claire, what they're doing for you funnel super cool. Like when I step out finally from corporate the corporate world. <laughs> Like I love what you all are doing. Um, I I feel like there's um, you know other people that I uh, Eric Eric who I'm like boss uh, who's he's my boss now, but we were like friends before before that. Like kind of gave me some tips. And Andrew Kaplan is another one I would say we've been like connecting quite a bit, like figuring out like marketing power ups and there's stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was my first sponsor for Girl Marketing Today, and then he was the first sponsor for this. And you were wow. going to say something about Camille? <laughs> Just what a, like, similarly minded, like, generous with his time, like, willing to do you a solid. Um, yeah. And whenever, like, whenever someone is in need of his type of services, he's the first person I think of. Obviously, you need to work with 42 Agency. Like, duh. Before we wrap up, one final question. Uh, if you can, and this is another one of one of those like looking back. If you can give yourself like a younger, uh, the younger version of Claire, like starting out, maybe uh, she's working at that radio station. What would be a piece of advice, like a piece of advice that you can send back in time that you can give the younger Claire? Uh, it could be, and once again, it could be around marketing. It could be like uh, around other things, but that advice would be something you can send to her to help 
occur with with life or career? This is such a good question, and it's kind of difficult because, like, as you can imagine, if you did your earlier life differently, then you'd end up in a, a different reality than you're in right now. So it's like that's true, you know, butterfly effect. Like, do I want to change anything? Um, but yeah. <laughs> Um, if I could, though, I would tell her, keep working really hard, which mm. she did all the time and which I still do. Keep working hard, but like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, mm. you are really wow. hard on yourself. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so, that's so good. Chill, chill out. And maybe <laughs> is that when you say chill out, like, you mean like work, work? don't overwork yourself is that what you know like maybe you're working 80 hours a week or seven um i've i've always from a very very young age uh i've i've definitely had this like high achiever personality mm. which is great in some respects um but also the the shadow side of the higher achiever high achiever personality is like tying your word worth mm. yeah let me show that again Tying your worth worth. to how much you do, uh, yeah, yeah, like how successful you are, how good your grades are, um, how quickly you find a job, blah, blah, blah. Um, I I didn't, it wasn't until like much later on that I started to detach my like identity from the work that I was doing. Um, And that was just cause for a lot of unnecessary stress and grief. I remember Asia, Asia Orangio talking about this and also yeah she's another one that's like been so generous but she talked about this quite a bit i feel like um i'm not i wouldn't generalize but like a lot of like high high achieving marketers you're right they're like no if i don't hit my kpis (laughs) if i if this this campaign doesn't blow up or like that that thing that you know that podcast or that it doesn't like get a million views in the first month then i'm a failure and I feel like that. I struggle with that. I suck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, you know, like I should quit, quit, quit and just go become a hermit or something like that. I feel like what I guess like, you know, like it's something that I've gone to therapy about. And one of my therapists has been like, hey, um, tied to something else, like family or, you know, like being a good person, (laughs) so to speak. So I feel like that's a really good takeaway there. Yeah, big shout out to therapy, plus one. <laughs> well, I hope you gain as much insight as I did with my conversation with Claire. I got super real there at the end. I really encourage you to go buy Claire's NGS book, Forget the Funnel. You can go to forgetthefunnel.com right now. You can find it everywhere on Amazon. You can also find out more about Claire on LinkedIn and Twitter. All of those links are in the show notes and description. And thank you to Claire for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power-Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about marketing pops. Thanks to Mary Saladin for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening.
That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode.